Goodness, there's movement at the station. There's people everywhere. Some of us might be old enough or have the literary knowledge to have heard of a Charles Dickens novel, A Tale of Two Cities. Oh, one of the young ones does. Good job. <laughs> I don't know much about it except it was in, written about London and Paris about before and after and during the French Revolution. That's about the extent of my knowledge. So I'm... Uh, going to try another literary version this morning called The Tale of Two Gardens. It possibly won't get up there with Charles, but we'll have a go. The Tale of Two Gardens. The first garden, it was made at the very beginning. It introduces us to God because it's in Genesis chapters 1 to 3. We see the, the account of creation where God has spoken things into existence left, right and centre and in verses 10, 12, 18, 21 and 25 he sits back and goes, that's good. And then he decides to create man in his image. He steps back again and has another look. And in verse 31 God says, indeed it is very good. That should tell us something about how important we are to God, that he raised us just another level above everything else. The Garden of Eden, Genesis 2.15 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. I think we always have a, a pretty a, a picture of this garden is something that is beautiful, it would be peaceful. There's um, just a great place to hang out, I think. Would you agree? That, that's the picture we're, we're generally given about the Garden of Eden. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when Sandy spoke, uh, she showed you some slides of a um, rainforest that was near where we stayed in Mount Tambourine. And probably doesn't compare, but it was pretty good. It was a couple of hundred metres from our accommodation and we walked down and those wonderful Australian insects at summertime, the cicadas would welcome us and say, come on in, making a racket and you'd walk through them and, and you just have beautiful, strange plants and things everywhere, little wallabies checking you out and all. And that was just so peaceful. There was no you know, road noises or anything like that. So that possibly would have a small, slight glimpse of what the Garden of Eden may have been like. In this garden, man walked with God. He communed with God. He had relationships with God. He was close with God. It couldn't get any better, could it? A nice, peaceful garden, having God as your, your best mate. Probably close to perfection. The Garden of Eden. Unlike Garden 1, Garden 2 is slightly different. It was man-made. Now, I know men, or man, men and women, can make some pretty impressive gardens, would you agree? 
I'm sure I'm probably not one of those. If you want to give me a pot plant, you need to come and look after it because I generally kill them. But there are, you know, even people in this church I know have got lovely gardens. Um, you know, you see pictures of things you go to. You know, when we were in Europe, we went to some of these castles, not castles, but palaces and things, and the gardens in those places are just absolutely amazing. But this one isn't. I've never been there. It's in Jerusalem. So I googled it to see what it looked like. And I wasn't overly impressed, to say the least. Whether this is the actual garden, they say it is, but, you know, they're making a buck, so you're never really sure. It is. Well, well, there we go. Did you pay the money to see it? Not really? Oh, there's a bit of... (laughs) It's worth the money. Well, you might have a better idea than me, but the pictures I saw are sort of dry. And it's got olive trees in it because it was originally, we believe, an olive grove where they grew olive. And I looked the pictures of olive trees and I mean the ones that are in the the garden that we're talking about have been there for a long long time may have even been there when Jesus was there but they're not the most glamorous of trees I mean olives why would you (laughs) why would you want olives really when I was in the army our green trucks were used to call olive drab doesn't that stir excitement Olives compared to a beautiful, lush, tropical garden. You know, the pictures I saw, if it wasn't that something happened there a couple of thousand years ago, you would probably walk past it and go, oh, that's nice, and just keep on walking. Completely different. The Garden of Gethsemane. But unlike the first garden that was filled with, I guess, love and beauty and just joy and peace, this second garden was filled with anguish, agony and betrayal. Luke 22 gives us an indication. Book of Luke, chapter 22. Jesus is in the garden. He's gone there with his disciples. And he's gone to pray. He's making that biggest decision that he had to make in his life as a man on earth. He says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like drops, great drops of blood falling to the ground. That's painful. And then when he was betrayed by Judas, the disciples fled. They left him on his own. And then a bit later on, Peter follows to see what's going to happen. And he too denies him, betrays him. Not a great garden. But it's kind of strange that the perfect, beautiful garden created by God led to devastation for mankind. Sin and death. 
Yet the olive grove, planted by man, ordinary and uninviting, with so much pain and suffering, led to life. Why was that? Romans chapter 5, verses... Um, Therefore, as through one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So what can we learn from this second garden, the Garden of Gethsemane? As followers of Jesus or disciples, what can we take from this garden in 2019? Well, I'd like to put to you this morning three things. That is, one, obedience, servanthood and faithfulness. We'll do them in reverse order. Faithfulness. Psalm 119.90 Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands firm. God is faithful. There's many, many scriptures again and again reminding us how faithful God is. Time and again through the scriptures we see instances where God has been faithful to his people. I'm sure in a crowd this side, we would all have testimonies of God's faithfulness in in one way or the other. Lamentations says that great is his faithfulness. So he's not just faithful, he's great in his faithfulness. Jesus was faithful in the garden when the hard decision had to be made. He was faithful to mankind, to us sitting here today. God has called us to be faithful. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. The Bible, like God's faithfulness, the Bible is full of men and women that have been faithful to God. Perfect people? No, not all of them. Majority not. Have you ever looked at the family tree of Jesus? The first fleet that the POM sent to Australia were saints compared to Jesus' family tree. Moses, a murderer. David, a murderer and an adulterer. We look at Peter. Peter was faithful. No, he wasn't. He denied Christ. But with all those, you have to read all the story, not just leave off where they've done something wrong. We see Peter, he was shattered by his weakness. Yet he was wonderfully restored. Interesting, in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus 
says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that an interesting term? Jesus says to him, when you have turned again, when he's come back. This is just the next, section, next few verses is where Jesus tells him that he's going, to, he's going to fail him. He's going to deny him. And yet he was wonderfully restored. See, it was a glitch in an overall plan. The day of Pentecost, preach, Peter preaches and gets 3,000 people saved into the kingdom of God. He was the first to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Perfect Peter. No, he still made a few bloopers, but he was always faithful. Being faithful is not being perfect, it's about not giving in. Jesus has been sharing to the disciples in John 6, and many, because of his words, began to turn away. It was too hard for them. And Jesus looked at the twelve and says, Do you also want to go away? Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Where would we go? Tough times. Who's had a tough time? That can come in varying degrees. <laughs> I've had them in the past. I've had times when you think, what's the point of all this? And yet, like Peter, well, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Jesus has the words of life. The same when things are tough, we've got to ask, our question, ask that question. Or Jesus might ask us the question, do you want to go away as well? Where would you go? Faithfulness. Servanthood. God has called us to be servants. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me translate good works. This isn't the official Greek to English translation. This is my translation. Good works is doing stuff. Jesus had to do stuff and he did it in the garden. He had to make that decision whether he would do that stuff or not. The decision to go to the cross that he would be the ultimate servant of mankind. Philippians 2, 3 and 5 says... Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, 
But in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let his mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. In Matthew chapter 20, the mother of two of the disciples came to Jesus and said, I've got a question for you. Yep, go ahead. When your kingdom comes, can my two boys be at either side? He said, you don't know what you're asking. And there's a bit of a discussion and the other ten sort of got their noses out of joint a bit. Oh, hell, what's going on here? No, we're just as good as them. And Jesus says to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it should not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many it's all upside down in the kingdom of God isn't it we do it differently I've had the privilege of knowing some of the hierarchy in our ACC movement Wayne Alcorn who's their president I think it's the right title He's been to this church, he's ministered in this church. John Hunt, who's the head of the Queensland uh, ACC, he's been in this church. Um, we had, what's his name the other day, Ken, a while ago, Kennedy, Steve Kennedy was here. All these guys, and we see them where they are. But most of us haven't seen them where they started. They didn't go and get a university degree in running churches and walked in as a senior pastor. They began by serving wherever they could, each and every one of them. They know what it is to serve. Whoever des who desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. A lot of them probably didn't even desire to become great. They just came into the kingdom of God and wanted to serve God. And God is rewarded not only their servanthood but their faithfulness. We should be serving our families, our church, our community. Starts in the home like a lot of things. I read an article this morning about in, in Japan, the first three or four years of school, there's no test, there's no great lot of learning. It's about how to be a good person for four years. And the first reaction I had, that should be done in the home. I mean, it's a good idea, <laughs> but it should be done in the home. Learning to serve. There's plenty of opportunities in our church to, to serve, in, in, in Christian organisations to serve. What a great witness it is when we serve in our community, whatever capacity that might be whether it's a football club or a, you know, a community group, whatever. 
That's a sad thing these days. There's a couple of us here, we, we do um, help with Meals on Wheels and they're forever short. They can't get people to serve our elderly with meals. Helping or serving others should be our main priorities as disciples of Jesus because helping others was and is his priority. Are you fulfilling Ephesians 2.10, doing the works that God has called you to do? What is it that binds faithfulness and servanthood together? That's the third one. Obedience. The two gardens, one's beautiful, one, well, pretty ordinary, but it's not the gardens, it's what happened in them. The major difference between the two gardens is obedience. The first man, Adam, was told he could, do, he could basically do whatever he wanted, eat whatever he wanted, but not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One thing. One thing, just one restriction. I don't know how big that garden was, but even so, there was all the fruits of what we have. And he had one restriction. God had given him dominion over all that garden. And yet in this one thing he was disobedient. And look what it led to. We've already seen in Luke 22 verse 42, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. What a stark contrast going to a cross compared to not having a nice piece of fruit eating from a tree. Jesus calls his disciples to be obedient. We read what we call the Beatitudes in Mark 5, 6 and 7 and it concludes in chapter 7. Therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, well that's obedience, yes, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. What was the rock? Doing what Jesus has just taught. John 15.10 If you keep my commandments again that's obedience if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The two greatest commandments, Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So you don't even have to find out what all the nitty gritties are. Just love God and love people. And that will probably lead to love life. I've heard that somewhere before. 
See, after the garden, mankind was just, it's got worse and worse. And Jesus, uh, God brought, gave to Moses the Ten Commandments. And so many people think, you know, this is the do's and don'ts. It's all about do's and don'ts. No, 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 no. The Ten Commandments was a, the bottom line for humanity. He said, guys, at least do this. You know, you're in a mess. Unfortunately, we're still in a mess. But that was the you know, bottom line of humanity. And it's just wrapped up in love your neighbour as yourself. I hope you love yourself. Because if you don't love yourself, you're going to have a hard time loving your neighbour. You should love yourself because God loves you. He's created you and he made you special. John 13 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. By being obedient to God's word, we will be faithful and serve diligently, fulfilling what God has ordained for us. Could I have the music team back up, please? As I said, the key to being faithful and having a heart to serve is being obedient to God. Spent a couple of years in the army and when you're a private, nearly everybody else is above you. And so you had, I guess like any workplace, there were those that were good in their, their jobs. There would be officers that you would follow anywhere. You would do anything for. And you know, Private Cusack, go and clean the, the toilets. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. There would be other officers that wanted to lord it over you. They had pips on their shoulders, so they were far more important than you were. Private Cusack, go and clean the toilets. Yes, sir. Help with an attitude. Does it sound something like Matthew that we read earlier? They lord it over you, but you're to be servants. That's where we need our relationship with God. It's so important in these three areas, obedience, servanthood and faithfulness. As our love for God flows out of our relationship with God, we will be obedient, we will serve and we will be faithful because we want to, not because we have to. Let's stand this morning. together Heavenly Father we just do thank you for your word that we can so easily take a hold of here in our modern society we thank you for the teachings in your word especially the that you love us and you care for us and you 
We thank you, Jesus, that you have died for us, that you served us so greatly. Father, I know that in your family, earthly family, that there were many who blew it, did things wrong, weren't all that good at it, and yet they were faithful. And they continue to serve and they continue in their capacity to be as best they could to be obedient to you. Father, I thank you that you're with us here this morning and that through your Holy Spirit, as we go about our week our, our, with our families, our work, social things, whatever, that Lord, you will guide and direct us that we would be obedient to your word that we will be faithful to you and that we would serve others for you. We thank you, Father, that through Jesus you first served us. We give you all the praise, all the honour and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.